Carla. And I'm Sarah. Welcome to Creative Reboot. since almost the start of the podcast that we want to talk about imposter syndrome because pretty much every creative experience is at some point. It's such a big subject that we wanted to bring someone in who was an expert to give us some insight. And so here she is, uh, the lovely Kate Atkin, speaker, facilitator, and her tagline is helping confidence soar. Hello, Kate. Hello. It's very nice to be here. It's lovely to have you. So now I get to do my little fangirly bit. So um, we came across Kate. I I did a webinar um, of Kate's over the summer in 2020. um, And it was a very life changing hour, which I wasn't expecting at all. It was one of those things I thought, oh, that'll be interesting. I'll I'll pop that in my diary. And uh, and I just had so many takeaway bits. And I don't think I'd realised actually how much um, how much it was affecting me until I heard what you said. So um, I very bravely sent her an email and said, we'd really love to have you. And she said, yes. So here she is. And we're really happy that you're joining us um, and very grateful for you giving up your time. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. (laughs) And actually, it's a real privilege to know that what I do and what I say can be life changing because I don't hold that lightly. It's quite a responsibility to have, too. Yes. No no, no pressure, but... (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Kate, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Um, Because you will definitely do it better than I will. Well, yeah, I don't know that I'd do it better than you would, but I have been now working freelance for the past 20 20 plus years just. And I used to work for Barclays Bank on their training team. Decided that actually I'd spread my wings and go independent as a freelance facilitator and trainer. And in 2015, I completed something that I never thought I would do, which was a master's degree in positive psychology. And it was during the course of the previous two years that I came across the work on the imposter phenomenon. And that set me on a slightly different tack for the next five years. So from five years ago, I've been looking at and researching and speaking on and talking more about my own internal fears than I ever thought I would incredible i love that so then for me my my first thing is that how how do you get into talking about I, imposter syndrome and I'm, I'm now aware that i'm calling it the wrong thing so tell me <laughs> <laughs> okay so if we get, if we go into a, a, a what is it as well as how i got into talking sure. about it so as you, you said at the start helping confidence soar has been a tagline of mine and it's been a, a thread of my whole life really being brought up in lincolnshire i was the middle one of the three and i got the shy label of the three of us so i'm the one that doesn't have the confidence and during the course of my late teens and early 20s i started to take part in public speaking competitions absolutely terrified but also found that I sort of enjoyed it and there was something about me that wanted to do more and through a membership of an organization called Junior Chamber International I then built my own confidence on learning a whole load of different things different skills but still had inside running the inside bit about I'm really shy when are they going to find me out I can't really do this stuff and that that was sort of lurking in the background at some point they are going to find me out and during my career that ran, ran parallel to that with Barclays Bank I was being moved and promoted and every six months to two years I'd get something new to do job wise and I'd always feel that I just missed being found out work wise as well and it's that piece about sometimes you're thinking you've just happened to got lucky 
And so I'd worked on my confidence, worked on my mindset. And Henry Ford's quote goes, if you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And I had worked really, really hard to believe that I could do things. But still in my mind, there's this little bit of an, are you really sure? Isn't that not going to happen? They're going to find you out. So when I started the Masters in Positive Psychology, I came across research by Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes. And my missing piece of the confidence jigsaw fitted into place. I suddenly went, ah, that's why I've been having that level of self-doubt all along. And I know we want to talk about what the difference is between normal self-doubt and the imposter self-doubt. So I'll, we'll come to that. But... I felt that it was something that fitted like a confidence jigsaw. So I've been running workshops on confidence for, for a number of years, but this piece needed something more. This, this piece about the imposter phenomenon, and we'll come back to that point, needed something more. So I, in 2015, I was invited to speak at the district conference for Toastmasters, which was, I think at that time, District 71, which included the, the UK and Ireland, I do believe. But anyway, it was, it was for Toastmasters. It was being held by my club that I had belonged to. And they said, Kate, would you come in and do a talk on this on the, on the Sunday morning? And so I did. And I absolutely let my imposter out of the bag. I felt it was a, a safe enough space, but it was a big, scary space, but, but sort of safe enough space to let that imposter chatter out into the big wide world, tell people what had been going on, why actually, although I appear very confident, there's something going on on the inside that doesn't quite match up. And people found it resonated with them, came up to me afterwards, a little bit like you were saying earlier, Carla, is like, wow, that was really interesting, really life-changing, and, and da 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 And I thought, oh, this has got legs. This has got something that I can do more with, and I also want to know more about, because I've experienced it, and therefore many more people must be, speaking about confidence already. And so that's how I came to do it, Sarah, is, is this piece of already doing something in the world of speaking, already doing something in the world of training around confidence, but doing more and focusing more on the imposter phenomenon, as we should call it. That's fascinating. I, the, the, I found myself nodding along to quite a lot of that because <laughs> I am one of those people, hands up, hates public speaking. I was just, completely. I was watching your face when Kate said public speaking and it was a picture. <laughs> Absolutely. And also I'd already asked Carla the question beforehand, but I said, I'm, I'm dying to ask her if she's ever had imposter syndrome herself as well. <laughs> so, so it's good totally. to know actually. <laughs> and so actually totally. I, I imagine it must be much much easier to connect with an, with an audience and, and and teach them about it and help them with it knowing what it feels like yes and and there's a level of authenticity and when we start to talk about it and we start to and, and I in particular also start to encourage people in larger organizations as well to talk about it and they realize that senior people in large organizations have experienced it or even are still experiencing it and it's the number one fear of CEOs according to an article that I read a couple of years ago that they also worry about when they're going to be found out not to be good enough at doing the CEO role. So it's an interesting phenomenon that people experience it at certain points in time. And just to cover the difference between syndrome and phenomenon, a phenomenon is an occurrence at certain points in time. A syndrome has a connotation to a mental health condition. And whilst the imposter phenomenon can cause high levels of anxiety, for some people can cause trigger depressive episodes and self-sabotaging behaviours, in and of itself, research does not show that it is a mental health issue. It's faulty thinking that we maybe have about ourselves and dismissing some of the external evidence that's there. And it occurs at certain points. It's not something that we have 
all of the time. So yeah, absolutely, I've experienced it, do still experience it at certain points. Um, but once I know more about it, as I do now, and I'll come on to some of that that I'm doing, is it's also easier to understand and manage, definitely. Mm, absolutely. Amazing. That is fantastic. So do you have a straight answer for, and you may not, I don't know, of why we experience it and, and why why it sneaks in when actually most of us who do, I would say, on certainly on the outside, are perfectly capable, talented, skilled individuals. We've been doing what we're doing for a long time. Um, the thing that actually, one, one of the, the things that you said before that really struck me was, uh, you know, normal self-doubt. When, when you're doing something for the first time where you've not done it before, that's normal. I was like, yep, yeah, that's a thing. Um, but actually, when you've been doing something for a long time and you still get that, what feels the feels very similar, it feels like a similar type of doubt, but it, it is obviously not logical because you know that you can do it because you've done it repeatedly. So is, is there a reason for that? Is there a trigger for that or...? I can give you a number of answers. So oh. if you want to do a normal straight answer, a straightforward answer, there are some reasons why people experience it. I think the most the most important thing that is to do, as you've just done there, Carla, is to clarify that normal self-doubt is when you have done doing something for the first, second or third time, let's say, and you haven't got lots of evidence that shows that you can do this. If you've been a creative, you've been putting out your, your stuff and, and you've been creating things, whatever shape or form that might be, actual products or services, um, and putting that out into the world for a while, however long that while might be, but it could even only be three months, let's say, then you've got some evidence that clients want what you're doing, that you can do it and that people will pay you to do it. What we tend to do is we go, ah, oh, yes, but they're just being kind. Or I happen to get lucky because so-and-so recommended me to that particular person. So they're being nice to me. They did that, you know, they could have chosen somebody else, but they chose me just because they told, you know, my friend told them to come to me. Um, the fact is your friend wouldn't have recommended you if you weren't any good. And if you didn't have the knowledge, skills and abilities that that other person needed. But we tend to put our successes down to something external. Mm -hmm. And that's the main reason why the imposter self-doubt perpetuates, because we don't allow the success to become internalised, to go, I am good at dot, dot, dot. Exactly. That's, it's, so that's actually really interesting. It's one of the things that I found myself doing an awful lot before um only up until recently is is i kept saying oh i'm so lucky i've got you know i keep getting these clients and i'm really lucky enough and then i realized actually no i've been putting in a lot of work to get these clients and it's yeah it's and what you produce is really mindset. good because yeah. you wouldn't keep getting clients if, if exactly. what, you, what you did yeah. wasn't consistently good no you're totally right that's really it's so funny as well because when you say it like that it seems very well, why didn't I think of that before? It's, logical, it's not so, it's, it's, it's logical, but it's, it's not logical. something that, that goes with you with our with our odd brains. Yeah, yeah. that's really interesting. And, and the thing with that logic is that we are able to dismiss it. We're able to reason our way out of something if it doesn't fit with our view of ourselves. So there's other reasons why we might experience the imposter phenomenon, and it can be because you you've grown beyond what you ever expected to do. You never expected to perhaps run your own business and, and put those creative things out there. I never expected as the shy one of three girls to go on to be an international speaker and, and do it for a profession. It just wasn't a thing that I mm. even considered. Um, and 
it's also when you've so you've outgrown the childhood expectations you've done more than you ever believed you could for me one of the other things is sometimes it's other people's reactions to you so when I was doing my masters in positive psychology one of the things that was my big in internal chatter was I failed the 11 plus I went to the secondary modern school I'm not academic I'm not clever and so my fellow students as I started the masters with a school of life entry turned around to me and said what's your first degree in and I sort of felt like a fraud of I've got to confess here I don't have a first degree and then the other interesting thing is they then turn around to you and say oh so they let you do a master's without a first degree do they and it's like I mean that's just an exclamation of surprise yeah but for me it was like oops really shouldn't be here and that's so interesting it's the way in which we can then take on board other people's stuff as like ah that proves I shouldn't be here yes uh, yes we take is it, it also no, yeah, on. is it also expectations? You know, people have got this this expectation about how, like, the order of things. And so anything that steps outside of that order suddenly makes you look like an imposter. Is it? Is it that, that kind of... Does that yeah, make there's, sense? There's, there's societal expectations, mm. absolutely. There's cultural expectations as to who should be able to do what. You know, it, and we are breaking away from the gender stereotypes, thank goodness. Mm. But there are still some folks that experience, whether it's cultural stereotypes, gender stereotypes, or racial stereotypes, they exist. We, we're human beings. Human beings are very judgmental creatures. Mm. And so we have a if we do something different from what's expected, and, and I remember having a conversation with a lady after one of my workshops when I ran one up in London in the days when we could do things face to face, and, and she came up to me and she said, oh, that's so, so me. She said, I was brought up in a council house in the north. What has that got to do with your ability to work in financial services in the city? Yeah, Absolutely no nothing. Yeah. Yeah. But we tend to think, ah, well, because I've got this background, we don't belong in where I'm at now. Um, and so we're not internalizing the successes. We're tending to put successes down to luck or hard work, whereas actually luck and hard work have, have some role to play, but they need knowledge, skills and ability as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, oh. I, I just, well I find done. this. I'm just going to applaud like, that one. <laughs> yeah, see, I told you she's <laughs> <Carry> on, <Carla. laughs> no, no, it's fine. Um, the thing that, that really strikes me, really resonates with me about that is that I think we all carry um, narratives about ourselves that we don't even necessarily admit to. And if somebody then inadvertently hits on that, mm. And they are, they're just saying, for them, it's a passing comment. And, you know, but, but for, so for, for me, I've actually had almost the opposite experience in that I was always considered very academic. I then decided I wanted to do quite a vocational course at university. And I've obviously since then um, become a photographer. But the narrative um, w within my life is, well, you're not creative. You know, you can't be creative. You're not, you're not really a creative. And I have, uh, my family, I'm sure will forgive me for saying this, I have a large, uh, rowdy and utterly wonderful extended family and I have never yet managed to get a decent photo of them because they never bloody shut up. <laughs> they never all sit still. There's like 28 of them and they never sit still all at once. It is impossible to get a decent portrait. And so my internal narrative is I'm a dreadful photographer because I can't get a photo of my family. Turns out if you get an external person in, they sit down, shut up and smile. But for me, they don't because I'm part of the family. And and I carried that for a long time. And, and now I'm hypersensitive. To, I know logically that I'm good at what I do. But... And, and external people might say, oh, you know, and you can't, or, or even my family, to be fair, oh, and you can't get a decent picture of us. They're just having a, a chat. They're just, it's a, it's a passing comment. And to me, it strikes deeply because I'm like, I know, and I really want to, and I can't. And so obviously I shouldn't be doing this as a career. And it, it's a really interesting thing for me that, that people's, 
like idle comments they might not even remember yeah. can cut so deep and, and hit the thing that you're you didn't even knew, know you were insecure about until they said it exactly. and i do find that amazing to to yes. kind of put into words and one of the other really interesting things is that that piece about somebody's idle comment or, or passing comment might, as you say, trigger something deeply on the inside. But also somebody's supportive comment might do exactly the same. And they are really aiming to encourage you. And they're going, what, you? You feel like that? But your work is amazing. You know, just okay. look at what you've done. You're amazing at what you do. And then you go, oh, no, my goodness, I've got their expectations to live up to as well. Because just telling somebody that they are amazing at what they do is of no help whatsoever. Mm. It just creates these high expectations. And it doesn't give that level of reassurance. If you tell them why they are amazing and what's specific about their work that you think is amazing, then that's really helpful. But just getting the you're amazing type and really positive feedback doesn't help anybody overcome the imposter chatter. It just oh, provides external evidence that people think you're great and therefore you're you're, and therefore if, you're that if you're not well. feeling great then you're yeah, oh, yeah. that's so, so interesting. So basically we're just completely ungrateful for any kind of positive <laughs> Well, not necessarily ungrateful, Sarah, but what we tend not to do is we don't tend to keep the positive feedback. We yes. tend to dismiss we it. We focus on yes, the bad, don't yeah. we? Yeah, yes. and so yes. one of the things about overcoming the chatter or helping or starting to overcome the chatter is, first of all, is recognise it for what it is. It, mm. it is an internal sense of fraudulence. It's not reality. You are absolutely not an imposter, nor is it a syndrome. It's an occurrence at certain points in time, so it's a phenomenon. And to start to overcome it, we need to start to collect the external evidence and believe it. So it's not just collect it, because some people collect it in a file and they never look at it. It's like, yeah, I've got all this positive feedback from folks, but I don't look at it. And it really came home to me when my husband was redoing my website a couple of years ago and we're doing the rebrand of it. And I had to go through the testimonials that I'd collected over the years and you know, rereading those and putting the ones back up on the website that you wanted. It's just, it's, oh, 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 really? They're saying all that about me. And then you see the threads that are in the testimonials that say, say well, this is a strength because this is a common occurrence of something that people are consistently saying about you. Yeah. So. It's collecting that and looking for your internal strengths that is a, a really useful way to try and at least start to combat it with that external evidence. I was going to say, I, I really like the evidence-based. And the other thing I just want to pick up really quickly, I am loving calling it imposter chatter because that is exactly what it feels like. <laughs> this is a good, it's a good phrase. I really, I like I'm really enjoying well, that, that reference to yeah. it because I, I think we can probably all um, identify with having that annoying voice in the back of our head that just won't go away. Um, mm. Even when we lodge... And I think even sometimes when you logically know which is why I really like the evidence-based approach because you, if you can show it something, you can show that annoying voice that, that it's not tr not right, I feel like there's a much better chance of making it pipe down a bit. Sorry, mm. Sarah, what were you going to say, my love? I was, actually, that leads really nicely onto, a, a, I guess, a question that I'm going down the route of then because obviously, Kate, you've started talking a little bit about the things that we can do to try and you know, reduce that that noise in our head. But uh, as, an, as, as a perfect example, someone like me who is absolutely terrified of public speaking and even to the point of in a Zoom room with 10 other people, I go bright red, I get all the mottling goes across my chest and I, I feel the shake in my voice. And what sort of um, advice would you give to someone like me to start trying to get over that? 
That's a good question. And, and it could be quite different from the imposter phenomenon. That's where I'm just pausing and wondering about sure. what, what advice would I give? Because mm. it could be different. So it's hard to tell on the outside whether it is somebody's imposter, well, I love the word imposter chatter, whether it is that imposter that's going on or whether it is another, you know, it's, I think it's, is it glossophobia that's the fear of public speaking? Ooh, I, have I, a didn't, I don't that's know. What it's called. We both yeah. just lit Google up with that. a new word. <laughs> I have a feeling it's called that. So um, do a little Google and, and check check it out. But I... If it's if it's a glossophobia, practice is the sort of thing that helps overcome it. Sorry, go on, Carl. I was yeah, going to say, if, if it helps, I never used to be afraid of public speaking. I I was ha quite happy to stand on stage and act. I used to read. I was I was a a reader at my church as a as when I was younger, and getting up in front of people didn't bother me at all. Mm, but it seems mm. to have developed in the last since I started my business, really. So yeah, in the last 10 years, which is terrible. Yeah. Well, there's something about then, it's about who are you putting out? You know, whether it's yourself or your business, it might be linked to that. Mm. It, it might be linked to the fact that I, I'm often asked whether the imposter phenomenon is something that's linked with age. Research is showing that social media nowadays is triggering it in people in their, um, teens, 20s, rather than older. And it used to be much more in, the older you got, the more likely you were to experience the imposter phenomenon, right. because the more successful you would be, mm. and the more successful you become, the more likely these triggers are to happen. Yeah. So coming back to why it might be, there's a number of things about, who am I putting out there? Am I showing my work off? Am I showing me off? Am I a show off? And if that is the, the, the chatter that you have sometimes from childhood messages is don't get too big for your boots, you know, these sorts of conversations that you were told, you know, people like to be, um, should be seen and not heard, you know, girls should be seen and not heard was something that my granddad once said uh, to me, which doesn't help when you want to be in, in the public speaking, but there's nobody likes a smart ass. Yes. Um, and it's, it's that piece that actually, am I going above and beyond what I should be doing? Mm. Might be going on and inhibiting, but it's also a fear of being judged by others. And this piece yes. about, uh, will they like me? You know, and we all want to be liked. We want to make a positive impact. And actually, will they like me? If that message is, is about you, then there's something that I think can be useful to flip. And the flip is focusing on the audience. It's focusing on the audience and your message. It's not about you. Okay. And we need to have a get over your own ego thing. Get over the blushes. It doesn't matter how you look. It's that piece about, is my message important? And will my message land with those people that I'm speaking to? And if you can focus on that, that can very much help sometimes the fear of, of public speaking. Oh, I'm going to remember that and put it to the test at my next networking meeting, I think. Let me know how you get on. I will. Thank you. I really love that. Yeah. So you kind of touched on this earlier, but I, I definitely have a question because I perhaps naively assumes it's something I've, I've always battled with in, in, in a creative sense because I am. I mean, creativity, we, we had a whole conversation about this on a previous episode. It oozes out of me. But for a long time, I believed that wasn't the case. And I'm sure, I know, in fact, that I'm not the only one. I know that some of our listeners and, and lots of other creatives have that same um, kind of internal battle. 
Um, you mentioned it, and I assumed that now I'm in a creative career and I'm doing quite well in the creative career and it's all lovely that it would go away and it hasn't. And you mentioned CEOs, which by by many people's argument is, you know, they've, they've got to the top of their industry, whether that's a big company, whether that's a small company, whether it's their own or whether it's a huge multinational. One would argue that the person who is making the decisions at the top has has certainly made it to a point in their career. And you said that's their biggest that their biggest one of their biggest fears or one of the things that affects them so that tells me that if I ask the question does it ever go away you're probably going to say no aren't you (laughs) (laughs) darn it Um, I think does it ever go I think it I'm going to go and it depends with my answer on this one actually because I think from personal experience it can go away in certain fields at certain times with certain situations and then something new might crop up and you may be going oh I need to work in my head to transfer my successes from the previous ones to this one because the phenomenon is occurrence at certain points in time so when the situation changes we may forget to bring our knowledge skills and experience and actually in our heads we've still got it but we forget to to bring it in our logical side um to the new situation. So we never start something new with a completely new slate. We always bring our previous selves. But I think when it's likely to lessen or go away more often, if we do what I term grow into ourselves, if we start to accept ourselves for who we are now, rather than doing a lot of comparison of ourselves to other people. That's very wise. That is definitely, yes. Far too wise for me. I'm not that wise. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I'm I'm feeling like some of these... I have a a whole... I can't turn the the camera and show you, but I have a whole gallery of... um things things that are useful things like done is better than perfect um which which i try and live by because i am a we kind of shout that one at each other quite yeah. frequently we do actually, actually yeah. Yeah. We, we throw that <laughs> one at each other um, quite often the perfectionism piece is absolutely something that's a hallmark of an imposter chatter um oh. because uh, the desire to be perfect and and sometimes that comes again from childhood it can come from conditioning unwittingly by parents you may come home from school and you might have got eight out of ten in the spelling test and they go so which two did you get wrong mm. Oh, 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 now I'm not loved because I didn't do well enough, you know, and actually it's, oh, great, which eight did you get right would be a better approach. And let's now work on the two that you got wrong. But initially, and it's a natural tendency for parents to want to encourage their children to be the best that they could possibly be. But it can be perceived as if it's not perfect, I'm not loved. Yeah. And therefore we have a desire to put out the perfect, perfect us to everybody even as adults and and so this this wanting to do our best work means that sometimes we procrastinate and maybe mm. just not necessarily hit dead we might hit the deadline but we might do it in a last minute rush oh yes um, <laughs> are you me i'm feeling <laughs> seen right now absolutely very seen uncomfortably so <laughs> And psychologists have this lovely phrase called self-sabotaging behaviours, which is that so you can actually put down the, oh, well, I didn't do my best work because I did it in a rush at the last minute. Yes. So or I didn't have enough time. So it exactly. wasn't quite, I could have done. So yeah. something that, in fact, probably my biggest takeaway from before, which I'm really hoping you're willing to share, but it's totally fine if you're not. Um, you said about dialing back to 80% to try and tackle mm. perfectionism. And I have literally written this on it's it's in it's in my gallery of of things that I look at because 
it's something that I really struggle with. I just want everything to be perfect. And several times now I've sent, say, a gallery to someone and I've prefaced it. Fortunately, my clients often become my friends. And I've prefaced it with, oh, I hope this is, there's this, there's this thing that I'm not, and they're like, Carla, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've looked and looked and I cannot see this imperfection that you keep telling me is there. I love them. They're fine. Um, and so it's something I'm actively trying to work on. And I, I know, again, that I am not alone. Everyone I tell this story to, they're like, oh, I'm exactly the same with whatever it is they do can can you elaborate a little bit on that because it was very comforting and it's actually been very useful <laughs> so yes well I mean I came across the 80% rule or many years ago but but like you didn't really adopt it to my work it wasn't applied to me I mean it's great you think about 80% of, of the the work you get comes from 20% of the clients you know you, you can work on the 80 20 rule in so many different ways but actually putting your work out there at 80% good enough I remember hearing so John Harvey Jones, I think, said, go to market at 80% ready and then you can perfect it when you're in the market. Mm. Don't wait until you're ready because then somebody else will beat you to it. And that's so true. And that struck struck me as like, oh, okay. But it wasn't really until I delved into the research behind the imposter phenomenon that I, I came up a lot more about this thread of perfection and, and letting go and needing to be okay with saying, and I find this particularly useful, okay with saying, here's a first draft, what do you think? And if you send people a first draft or your first thoughts or these images haven't been fully touched up yet, what do you think? And they're going, they're wonderful, they absolutely hit the spot. Then you don't need to do any more work because you've done what the client wants. Needs, yes, yes. And needs, yes. And then there is something about perfection. If you overwork something, you can actually make it worse. A friend of mine's an artist and, and she knows that she has to, even though she could continue to work on a painting, she has to let it go at a certain point because otherwise she could start to make the painting not look as good as it used to. Yes. And so it's about learning when not to fiddle because the output, what the more effort you put in sometimes, the output can actually be detrimental. And I think phrasing, the language that we use, like imposter chatter you've picked up, and I, I really, I've, I'm using that a lot more now. I've found it, it helpful for me and it seems to be very helpful for others. And I think first drafts is really useful. And at the moment, one of my confessions, as it were, I'm now just coming to the, the end of my third year of doing a PhD. So from an 11 plus wow. failure to studying That's a PhD in the imposter phenomenon is not bad. But it, it's this piece about oh gosh I've got I've been reading and writing about courage so over the Christmas New Year period spending a lot of time doing that but I'm calling them burblings so I've done courage burblings I haven't written an article on courage or I haven't written a review of the articles on courage I've just written the burblings of my it's not even a review of it because a review is too structured in my head but if I call it burblings I can then let it go and see what my supervisors think of it so I think sometimes where we label something and the language that we put out and I know when it's our own work and you're getting paid for creating that piece of work I think that's where drafts that's where pilots for um, training sessions for me in particular work well you know let's run a pilot and see how it goes mm. brilliant Kate you know we don't need it tweaking that's absolutely fine leave it as is fantastic and actually I think a wonderful parallel that I'm going to carry in my head um, for that is uh, one of my best friends is a bridal designer and she introduced me a long long time ago to the concept of a twirl 
which is basically where you make the dress. This is not something I knew about before I before she did this. Um, but you you make a dress in its entirety out of cheap fabric that drapes in a similar way to the actual fabric, but may not cost two hundred pounds a meter or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you fit that to the person, and then you replicate that in the expensive fabric. And I was like, so you make the dress twice? Why? Why would you do such a thing? But actually, she says it because it means you get all the tweaky bits out, and often yeah. you'll then get it to be. It means the first the first draft of the full fabric is is actually your sort of maybe fourth or fifth draft and it's perfect and and that's how you get your reputation for beautifully fitting and and her her work is absolutely glory i mean i've got no intention of getting married but i own a couple of hers anyway because who said you had to get married to have a wedding dress (laughs) um and they are they they fit every curve they're just beautiful and and the way that she's done that is with that pilot that twirl um and i i feel like for me that's a really good um and hopefully for some of our listeners will will be a good way of of remembering that and 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 i'm just gonna leap in there as well actually that whole concept of the first draft thing really appeals to me as a writer because that you know that's what I do and I'm always saying to people you know the first draft that you put that you write no one has to see that you're going to go back in and you're going to edit it and you're going to edit it again and you know it's that's that takes that perfection idea out of it then because it doesn't matter what you put in the first because you can fix it afterwards so I, I just that really kind of resonates I a think, lot with me. I think just having that concept just takes a lot. I can I can feel my 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 um, pulse dropping. You know, it takes the anxiety away from yeah. feeling. And it, I think it is maybe a judgment thing as well because ultimately, with with all creative work, you are putting it out into the world for somebody, whether it's your audience, your client, your boss, whoever it is. Your but somebody is going to have to look at it and 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 decide whether it's okay. And and that does take a, a big layer of that away. So thank you. That's that's yeah. wonderful to know. I have a, a, a little question for you, Kate, actually. I think especially as we're sort of coming towards wrapping up. Oh, are we time. doing waving? Okay. <laughs> we're going to do waving <laughs> soon. Um, but I, what would your uh, key takeaways be for someone who feels that they are suffering? Uh, su- I don't like the word suffering. No, experiencing um, this imposter chatter. What, what sort of main takeaways would you offer them if they're feeling in that space at the moment? I think there's a few things I I was jotting a few thoughts down that I thought yeah actually if you were if you were to ask me that type of question what would I want to say the first is about comparisons it's about not comparing yourself to other people because you will always find somebody that's better earning more than doing more exciting work whatever it might happen to be you will always find somebody who's better than and you will always find somebody who is worse than so don't compare yourself to other people but do compare yourself to yourself where were you this time last year? What were you doing? What have you learned in the last 12 months? And I mean, we have all learned stacks in the last nine months since COVID. And actually recognising that that learning is also part of our own development and, and to keep going and the resilience that we've, we've used and are still using to get through the next few months too. So it's stopping comparing yourself to others and start comparing yourself to yourself. So you can see your own growth because mm we don't tend to measure that when we're on an independent streak it's really useful if you're working in a large organization so with Barclays we used to get people that would do annual reviews with me you know the the boss and and you'd then be asked to do okay so what have you done since this time last year and you had to keep records if you're an independent person independent creative you don't necessarily keep those same records so I think you could start to keep the records by all means but It does help with that comparison piece about comparing yourself to yourself. There's something about kindness that I think we need to flag. And we are very often kind and compassionate and forgiving towards other people. 
and not towards ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we could give ourselves a little bit more kindness. And I love the work of Charlie Makesy. Um, if you haven't come across this, it's the most amazing book. And at the moment it's available on BBC Sounds as well. The Boy, the Mole, the Fox oh. and the Horse. Yes. And his work is fabulous. It says in it says in a cartoon and a few words what what I could say in in hours really is just very beautifully done. And there's work that he does on kindness too, and 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 writings on that. And I think that's we need to be kinder to ourselves very definitely, mm. particularly with all that we are facing from a, a personal, professional, family, health stresses, you know, everything at this point. We need to have that kindness. And then I think the third one would be recognizing our own knowledge skills and abilities and actually keeping that external evidence to help us understand and know the knowledge skills and abilities that we have so that really comes through getting the positive feedback and holding on to that positive feedback and yes anding it not our butting it because we can go our oh, but i happen to get lucky our oh, but you know they're just saying that they're just being nice to me or whatever actually if you yes and it yes and i learned this from that particular experience yes and I use this skill by doing that that can be helpful so comparisons kindness to self and keeping your positive feedback to help you recognize your own knowledge skills and abilities that's amazing I think that is like the best advice ever I, just, I, feel, I feel like that's advice for life as well as it for is imposter chatter. I just think that works brilliantly but, but that is what you. the imposter phenomenon does yeah the imposter phenomenon is this piece yes. of that it runs through threads of our lives and if we can get rid of the, mm. you know does it ever go away that, that you asked earlier Carla I think if we can lessen it you know some people say oh I want to hold on to it because it helps me push forward actually if we can lessen the anxiety that would be so much more helpful if we can lessen the stress. We've got enough anxiety yes. and stress from other things. We don't need to give ourselves any more. Yes. yes. I agree, I agree. wholeheartedly. Oh, <laughs> I do. Very much. Thank Very you so good. much. I think then to wrap up, Kate, tell us a little bit um, uh, if, if there's anything that you want to share with us, any particular links, any any anything at all that you and, want to share. And where our share. readers, our readers, yes. our listeners, right, our listeners. can find you. Well, readers as well, because they'll go on the show notes, but where, where our audience can find you yeah. um, yes. for further reading sure. and things. Well, coming back to anxiety, one of the places that I like to support, one of the charities I like to support is Anxiety UK, because they are a small but national charity that really do help people overcome the anxious feelings. And it's only recently that I've reflected on myself and felt, you know what, some of my stomach ache issues have been more anxiety related issues than actual stomach aches mm. caused by anything that I've eaten or not eaten. Um, and only when you start to learn more about the phenomenon do you realise sometimes where you're not consciously talking yourself into being anxious. But um, I know you'll pop in the show notes a link to the Anxiety UK fundraising page. And from there, there's links to Anxiety yes. UK. I'll pop the link to the charity direct there too, because I think that's just helpful that a small charity, teeny donation goes a long way with them. And to find me, it's very simple in my name, Kate Atkin, A-T-K-I-N. And so you can find me as K-A-T-E, A-T-K-I-N. I can't even spell my own name now. Um, so Kate... <laughs> Kate Atkin on Twitter is that simple and also just look up kateatkin.com on the web and you'll find more details there and there's more videos on that site as well as other podcasts are available and that, that I've done and I'll happily host this one there too and give people the chance to re-listen through my website as well 
Amazing. Oh, thank, thank you, you so, so much, much, Kate. Oh, it's been an absolute joy having you on here, it has. definitely. It's been fantastic. I feel, I feel better and less impostorous already. Yes, likewise. <laughs> no, it was wonderful. And, and truly, thank you. Thank you for coming on. We know that we're, we're small, but we're a hopefully small and growing podcast. Yes. And, um, and we really appreciate your time and your wisdom. Um, Absolutely. I would say not small, so, yeah. it's niche, Carla. It's niche. It's about niche. Oh, yes, like oh, I like niche. niche. Yes. It's niche. And thanks for inviting me. Um, it's I need a to, pleasure. Yes. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, really pleased um, to make a difference. That's another another lesson I'm going to take. Actually, I, for for someone who's good with words, I am I am terrible it's at not choosing using that language. Is that right? Definitely. Language. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So mm. definitely. Lovely. Fantastic. Thank you Until so next much, time. Kate. It's been wonderful. Thank you, Kate. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love for you to rate us, review us, and subscribe on your favourite podcast app. Five stars, please. Where can people find us online, Carla? We are on Facebook and Instagram at Creative Reboot Co. And we also have a Facebook group, which we'd love you to join to come and talk to us about the episodes. Just search for Creative Reboot Group. And you can also go to our website, creativereboot.co, where you can subscribe to our mailing list and get in touch with us if you fancy being a guest or have topics that you want us to chat about. We'll look forward to seeing you there.